In 2015, a mom and a dad in Florida were arrested and uh, they were charged with felony neglect, which is a pretty heavy charge. Um, They were arrested, handcuffed, fingerprinted, actually strip searched, and they spent overnight in jail while their kids were taken out of their home and put into foster care for several days. The story was national news story. I'll I'll tell you why in a second. But um, as they went through the court proceedings, the the resolution that the judge decided that the family had to do was the mom and dad had to take mandatory parenting classes. They had to take uh, mandatory therapy. The kids were placed in therapy. And the mom, even though she stayed home from work during the summers to raise her kids, her oldest child had to go to camps all summer and her youngest child had to be in daycare so that they had guaranteed supervision during the summer. Well, the reason why it went national and uh, a viral story is what happened that caused them to be arrested and charged with felony neglect. The neighbors called the police because their 11-year-old, not the younger one, the younger one was taken care of, the 11-year-old ended it up at home having forgotten his key and played basketball in his driveway for 90 minutes until his parents got through traffic and got home. 90 minutes of basketball, felony neglect charges. The charges were that there was no shelter for the child, that there was no water for the child, there was no place for the child to go to the restroom even though there was a open shed in the backyard that provided shelter. There were two sinks and two additional hoses that all worked and provided water. And the police officer who showed up on the scene actually relieved himself in the yard while he was waiting for people to show up. And so this went viral because people were, people had this, this feeling of, you know what, I, I feel like that's overreach. I don't want the government or I don't want any, any other entity to tell me how to raise my kids. I don't want someone else coming in and, and being the parent to my children. But the tension is that often we do similar things, even though we don't want that, we do similar things all the time. We take our kids and we drop them off with the soccer coach to teach them how to play soccer. And we drop them off at piano lessons to learn how to play the piano. And we drop them off with a tutor so the tutor can teach them geometry. And the reason why, it it makes sense, and I'm not bashing those things. The reason why is because we're too old to play soccer and we never learned how to play the piano ourselves and we've forgotten geometry, right? So so we take them, we go, hey, you're the expert, so can you, you do this for them? But what happens is we translate that over to faith development. And if we were honest, many of us would say, you know what, I don't, I don't know if I am at the place I need to be in my spiritual journey. I don't feel like I'm an expert in faith. In fact, sometimes I go to church and I sit in my small group or I hang out with a group of friends and it seems like they have it together way better than I do. And I don't want to mess up my kids, so I'm going to take them to the experts. And we've got at our church a kids pastor and a youth pastor who have master's degrees and one has a doctorate in Jesus, right? I mean, they went to seminary. Not only, not only you know, have they got this thing figured out called faith, but they've got time too, because as parents, we're busy. And we know the kids pastor and youth pastor only works on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights. And so they've got way more time. They're the expert in it. So I'm going to take my kids and I'm going to drop them off. And like I dropped them off with a tutor, hoping that they would master geometry, I'm going to drop them off at church and hope that they master discipleship. 
But what I want to strongly encourage you this morning, and what I will strongly encourage you until the Lord takes the last breath away from me, is that we lean back into that feeling that you might have felt when I told the first story. And we go, you know what? No, these are my kids. And God's given me, them to me to raise, and God has given them to me to disciple. And I'm going to be the primary disciple maker for my family. Last week, when we started this two-part series, I told you I'd ask some people, like, what, are the, what are the two most important things that Jesus has said? And that's, that could be it for debate for some of them. And last week, we, we looked at the Great Commission. Remember, we leaned in. I said, if, if you only had five minutes left and your family and friends were gathered around, what you would say to those family and friends, knowing you had five minutes before you were gone, would be measured. They would, they would be well thought out. You, they would be important to you. We looked at the Great Commission. And Jesus said in his final moments, go and make disciples. And we talked about that meant as you go to the places that you work, to your school, to your neighborhood. And we talked about it was our call as disciples to make outposts of the gospel all around here so that, that the gospel is going to where we go. Well, this week I want to look at another passage of scripture that I think I could argue even stronger that it might be one of the most important things Jesus said. And the reason why I'd argue that is because Matthew and Mark tells us that uh, some religious leaders, a scribe, in fact, an expert in the law, came to Jesus and kind of cornered him and asked Jesus this question, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? So if Jesus asked what's the greatest commandment, I think the answer is going to be one of the most important things he says. Agreed? He says, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And he said, in seconds like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Because all of the law and all of the, press, all of the prophets hang on these two things. You see, the, the scribes, the religious leaders, they had taken the Old Testament and boiled it down into 613 laws. And they were experts in them. They, they knew if this situation happens, well, here's what the law says and here's how it applies. And, and in moments where the law says this and the law says that and the situation seems to put those two things at odds, the experts are the ones that navigated that and said, here's what the scripture says, so here's what, here's what you should do. But these experts had, had lost the force for the trees, if you will. They were so caught up on the minutia of the law that they thought they would trap Jesus. And Jesus gave them the, the bigger 30,000 foot view. And he said, listen, all of those laws, you know what the greatest one is? It's if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then he added the seconds like it, love your neighbor. And what Jesus said is if you do those two things, if you'll love God and if you'll love people, you'll take care of all of the law and prophets. You won't steal. Not because the law says not to steal, but you won't steal because you love people. And you wouldn't steal from somebody that you love. And Jesus said, you, you won't gossip because you wouldn't talk bad about someone behind their back because you love them. And you wouldn't make money your idol and your job, the thing that you love most because you don't love it most, you love God most. And so your job and money fall underneath loving God and loving people. So if you'll love God and love people, all of this laws that you're worried that they'll take care of themselves. But here's the cool thing. Jesus didn't make up, love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, heart, soul, and strength, just right there. He was actually quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to read it for ourselves. 
I've preached this passage before. I'll probably preach it again. It's one of these foundational passages when it comes to families and family life. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's one of the most important things for a a Jewish person to understand because as the Jews, they they understood that Yahweh was the one God. And and even though they lived amongst people all around them that were polytheistic, they had more than one God. They had the God of the harvest and gods of fertility and the gods of this and the gods of that. The Jews understood, the Israelites, God's people understood there's not a bunch of different gods for this and for that. We have one God and he reigns supreme over everything. And we worship that one God and we're set apart from everyone else around us who worships a bunch of other gods. And you know what? Thousands of years later, things haven't changed. We still worship one God, the same God, Yahweh. And we live around people who worship multiple different gods, money and success and fame. Sometimes people worship their their kids. They worship their jobs. They worship sex. They worship all kinds of things. So things haven't changed since Deuteronomy 6 was written. And so it says, hear, O Israel, hear, church, listen. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then here's what Jesus said. When he said this, it pointed everybody back to this passage. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Jesus, greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel. Now here's what's interesting, though. Remember last week we talked about that we're to make outposts of the gospel as we go in the routines of what we do as we go to work, as we go home, as we go to our neighborhood, is very kind of rhythm-centric of what we do during the day. After in Deuteronomy, this passage reminds people, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You love him with all your heart, soul, and strength. Look at what happens next in verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Here come the rhythms. Here comes the routine. You shall teach them diligently to your children, And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Isn't it interesting that the most important thing, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, the one God, that after in the, New, in the Old Testament, that message was delivered, the very next thing was how to transfer it to the next generation. That it was that important because God understood this truth, that parents are the primary disciple makers of their kids. Now parents partner with the church and the church has a youth pastor and a kids pastor and some great programs and a family pastor. This church has a fantastic, uh, good looking family pastor. He's incredible. Uh, two thumbs up to that guy. The reason why they have those things is to help parents become the primary disciple makers so that we can partner together and say, hey, here's some tools and here's some things to think about and let us cheer you on and let us encourage you. And when you come up against the roadblock, there's some people there, a church, not just pastors, but the church as a whole, other generations that have already done it to come in and go, here's what you can do. Here's what the scripture says. And so we can partner together to raise a generation. But parents, if you have kids in the home, You are the primary disciple maker of those kids. And so what we want to do as a church is help you figure out how you can be intentional in that discipleship. And so for the the, the last part of our time together, I'm going to walk you through our family discipleship plan. 
You've got something that looks like this that came in your worship guide. We're going to put some pictures up on the screen in a moment. But I want you to pull this out. And as we talk through it, mine already has some writing on it. As we talk through it, I want you to think through what you can write down. But before we go any further, I want to pause for a second. Because I'm talking a lot about families. And I'm talking a lot about moms and dads. But here's what I want you to hear me say. If you're a grandparent, you have the opportunity and the expectation to lean in and partner with discipling your grandkids. And you know why that is? Because even though your kids now are adults with grandkids, you have not lost the responsibility before God to be the primary disciple maker of your own kids. Whether they're 30 or 40 or 50 or 60. So as we're talking about in my life with two kids at home, I think through the lens of families at home with kids. But if you're a grandparent, you have a discipleship plan for your grandkids and your adult kids. And if you're married, you've got a part of the discipleship plan for your spouse. And if you're single, you have a discipleship plan for yourself because discipleship is about intentionality. And we're going to walk through this and go, how do I put rhythms and some things in my life that will help me walk closer with Jesus so that I love him better, that I love people better, and I'm helping others do the same. And we're going to put it down in print. So even though I'm talking today a lot about families, I'm also talking to grandparents. I'm talking to empty nesters because you've got adult kids. I'm talking to the couple that's married with no kids, even if you won't have them in the future because you have each other. And if you're single, I'm talking to you because in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, says this, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So as much as this is a family plan, it's an individual plan because I've been called to be a disciple to follow Christ. So we're going to walk through this and look at it. The first thing I want to call your attention to, it's on page 3, and it says rhythms, kind of in the, in the middle of the page. See, a rhythm is something that we do daily. It's something we do maybe weekly. It's something we do monthly. It actually may be something we do every now and then. It may not be something that's every Thursday, but it could be when this happens, we do this. But there is a rhythm. So I wrote down some examples just to think through. And I want you, as you're thinking some things, just to start writing them down today. If you hear some of these ideas, you go, oh, yeah, I could do that. So it might be as simple as reading the Bible every night. Or it might be, hey, we're going to read the Bible together as a family every night that we're at home together. You see, some families, they have high school kids and they're not home every night. And, and, and so we're not talking about changing everything in your family routine. And you tell your, your, your high school kids, hey, you're going to you're gonna have to quit playing football. Because, you know, we read the Bible together every, every night. And Friday nights is football and, you know, we, we can't read the Bible, so you're going to have to quit. Now, in the rhythms of your life, you say, hey, maybe when we're home together, we're going to read the Bible. Or when our kids go to bed, we're going to pray together each night. We're going to gather with our kids before we're going to pray. It might be something like this. And this is a rhythm that I'm trying to put into my home. Anytime I drive my kids to school, that's a rhythm. And it's not an everyday thing for me. My wife takes them a lot of times. But the rhythm is when we drive to school, we talk about faith. I actually use the things that our church provides. Our youth ministry has an app on the phone that has questions connected to the message that my daughter heard on Sunday and Wednesday. And so as a parent, I pull that up and, I, and I've already listened to the message because it's online. So I know what she's hearing. And I go through and we talk through those things as we're driving to school. If we run out of those conversations, we talk about the passage of scripture that we're trying to memorize and how we're doing in that. 
If I pick them up from school, I try to remember, hey, talk through this. In our kids' ministry, LJ places things online for us under Parent Connection on the webpage that has what our, teen, our kids are learning and, and discussion questions. So for me, that's a rhythm. When I'm taking them to school or picking them up, we have faith conversations based on what the Bible studies they're learning here at church. It's just a routine. I didn't create anything new. I was picking up from school anyway. I'm putting them to bed anyway. We're all going to be sitting around the house anyway. Could be something, though, a little bit more creative. Maybe you, you still grocery shop um, and, you, and you like walking through the aisles. Our family now uh, puts it on the Internet, drives up, and they bring the groceries to us. It's pretty incredible. But maybe you go, no, I like walking through the grocery store. And maybe you take your kids with you. So maybe the rhythm is whenever we grocery shop, I tell my kids, you go get five canned goods. And the five canned goods you pick out, we're going to go home and we're going to put them on the top shelf in the pantry. That's our giveaway shelf. And when anyone comes to our home and knocks on the door and says, hey, we're collecting cans for the caring place, or, or if no one comes to your home, when Merry Christmas with Love rolls around at First Baptist, we're going to take all of the cans off the giving shelf and we're going to bring them and give them away. You know how much fun it would be for that, like, those kids to come and ring your doorbell and they go, hey, we're collecting cans. Do you have anything? You go, hold on one second. And you come back with two boxes of 40 cans and watch them try to figure out how to get them back. That'd be fun, right? And what message does that send to the kids in your home that you have a rhythm of discipleship when we buy our food, we think of others. When we're living out the blessing of God, buying groceries, we're setting some aside for people that don't have the blessing that we have because we want to serve and minister to people. Do you know what will happen in the life of your child that lives in that rhythm, that grows up one day when they're an adult and they go to the grocery store? They'll be thinking about hungry people and how to serve people because you created a rhythm of discipleship. So we're not talking about creating new things, just in what you're already doing, start thinking, and what do I do in life? How can I add faith? Because that's what Deuteronomy 6 talks about. As you sit in your house, as you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. So start writing down some rhythm ideas. Then flip over to, I don't know which page it is, the back page. You'll see a thing that says seasons. What we want you to start thinking is there are some things seasonally where you can be intentional with your discipleship. For the Israelites, for God's people, they had multiple festivals. They didn't do the Passover every week. They did it once a year. It was a seasonal activity that they went, you know what? During this season, we are going to be intentional and we're going to focus on the Lord. So here's some ideas. In the fall, again, there's some on here already that are printed for you. In the fall, it might be that you say, hey, we're going to, as a family, we're going to go serve a Thanksgiving meal at a shelter. We're not going to do that every week. We're not going to do it every month. But during, we're going to, it may be a habit. Maybe something you do every year or maybe something you do one year. But this season, in the time of Thanksgiving, we're going to go give thanks and we're going to serve homeless people. In the spring, maybe you're a grandparent and you have your grandkids and they come spend spring break with you. Well, what you, what you start doing is you start thinking intentionally. Not just, hey, great, the grandkids are coming. And at the end of spring break, thank you, Jesus, that they're going home. Um, they've worn me out. But you start thinking through Hey, what can we do during this week? I have an intentional seven days or five days or whatever it is, and I'm going to redeem this time to be purposeful to transfer my faith down to my grandkids. And you put it on your discipleship plan. You say, hey, spring break, we've got it marked, and we're going to figure out what to do. Summer, you might do something. You, you wouldn't do this every week, but you might say, hey, during the summer, we've got some, some extra time. We're going to do family movie nights, and we're going to watch a movie, and then after the movie, we're going to have some faith discussions based on the spiritual 
principles found in that movie. And there's all kinds of resources. You might go, I don't know how to do that. There's all kinds of books and websites that can help you with that. You pick a movie you like, and they'll give you the spiritual themes that are in that movie. And a lot of them will give you discussion questions. And you watch a family movie, and then you talk about it with your kids afterwards. That's just an idea. You might, for summer, you might go, hey, you got a teenager? Can't collide. Now let me call a timeout for a second. Because you can't put it on your discipleship plan if you're going to drop your kids off at the church and send them to Camp Collide. That's a drop-off. But if it's intentional discipleship, here's what you're thinking. We as parents, because we're the primary disciple-maker, am going to use the program that our church has, Camp Collide, and I'm going to send my kids to camp. If you can go, that's incredible because you can share the story with them and have conversations when you come home about what you both experience. But maybe you can't go. You drop your kids off, but because it's a part of your intentional plan... At night, while your kids are at camp, you go home and you download and listen to the message that the camp pastor preached that gets uploaded online at camp so that you're hearing the same thing that your kids or your grandkids are hearing. And then when they come back home and you pick them up, you've got a list that the youth ministry from your church has given you. Here's five or six questions to talk about with your kids to debrief what God did in their life at camp. Now, all of a sudden, camp wasn't a drop-off. You go to camp and I pray that Jesus changes you. But you drop them off and they go to camp. You're engaged with what they're hearing because you're the primary disciple maker. And they come back and you pick them up. And the next day you go to breakfast after they slept some. And you start talking through what the Lord has done in their life. And you start connecting it back to what happens next. Do you see the vast difference in that? The intentionality behind, besides the, the drop off? But we've got to start thinking rhythms and seasons and how we can do this. I love talking to one of our church members about this. And, um, it's kind of two quick stories. One of them was telling me uh, this a couple of weeks ago as he was kind of processing through this. He said, yeah, I like this idea of rhythms. And he said, in fact, we just watched a thing on, online called Secret Church. And when we were watching Secret Church, uh, they were, it, we, were, we as a family were challenged to, to start fasting. And we just need to start fasting. And I said, oh, cool, cool, cool. And I said, have you started yet? And he went, no, we haven't. But when you write it down, Hey, we know we need to do this. Hey, we were challenged to, to start fasting. So you sit down. He could sit down with a spouse and go, hey, on Thursdays, we're going to make Thursday our fasting day. And all of a sudden now it's written down. It becomes a rhythm of your intentional discipleship plan. And it goes from I want to to I'm going to. Another family. I brought this to show you. You're not going to be able to see the insides of it. Not, I don't anticipate you need to. You said seasons and rhythms. It's 2018 to 2019. One of our church families who's ahead of the game has already started writing this down. And this, this actually hangs in their living room. It's kind of like in Deuteronomy where it says to post it on the doorposts. They've got it posted on the doorpost. And they walked through this and, and thought through it. And, and uh, so you can use the, the handout that we have for you or you can do something kind of cool like that. But in making that, we had some conversations. The family sat down, they talked about it, they made it out. They've got a, they've got a young toddler. And, and they, they emailed it to me and said, hey, look through it, what do you think? And I looked at it and said, man, this is great. I said, I have two questions though on things that you listed. I said, you wrote Disney World down in a season. I said, tell me about that. And, and, and the husband was the one talking to me. He said, oh, I'll, he said, oh, I'll take it off. And I said, well, no, don't take it off. Let's talk about it. I said, what are you doing at Disney World? 
And he said, well, it's our, it's our 10-year anniversary. We're actually not taking our, our son. We're just going as our 10-year anniversary. That's where we did our honeymoon. And so 10 years later, we're going to go back. And I said, hey, when, when you go to Disney World for your 10-year anniversary, are you going to be intentional to spend time in rekindling your heart towards your wife? You got, you got a toddler at home. Is this going to be a moment where you can get away and not just have fun, but where you can, you can have some heart-to-heart conversations? You can spend some time together to both challenge each other in your faith? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So, well, then don't erase it. Put it down in the season. It's not a rhythm unless you can afford to go to Disney World once a month. It's a season. And it's a one-time thing. Then the other thing he had down there, he had swim lessons for their son. I said, tell me about swim lessons. And he said, oh, I'll just scratch that off too. I said, no, tell me about it. I said, because here, here's what you could do. You could say we have eight weeks of swim lessons during the summer. It's a season. And during the summer, we're going to take our kids to swim lessons. And on the way home, every week for eight weeks, we're going to contact a different member of our church who's ahead of the game, a mentor, if you will, maybe even some people who are grandparents. And we're going to ask eight different people to meet us for lunch on our way home from swim practice or swim lessons. And we're going to ask them to give us two or three things that they would lean into us to tell us how we could disciple our child better. And we're going to ask them to uh, intentionally pray for our family for the rest of the summer. So that's intentional. He said, no, I'm just going to write that one off. Uh, so he's not doing swim lessons, but he could have. You see, it's just, it's, it's what are the rhythms and the seasons that we're already doing that we're being intentional in? And we start brainstorming as many ideas as we can. I'll tell you more about that in a second. Then go to page two. You see the categories. Because here's where the intentionality comes about. You see four different categories. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. To have a complete discipleship plan. Pick one thing from each category. Uh, here, here's what I anticipate. If you're walking with the Lord, one's not going to be enough. You're going you're to feel the need to have multiple things. But pick one thing from each category, not one rhythm in one season, just one thing, and you put it in. So, for example, spiritual disciplines, fasting, tithing, uh, meditation. There's all kinds of scripture memory. There's all kinds of spiritual disciplines that you might go, okay, you know what? I'm going to take one of these spiritual disciplines and I'm either going to do it in a rhythm or I'm going to do it in a season. If you're struggling, you go, man, I don't really know what that means. Let me give you two foundational ones. One of our team members said, don't call it foundational, call it non-negotiables. Here's, here's the baseline, Bible and prayer. Start thinking there. What can I do to be in the word in a rhythm, hopefully, or a season, you can put it a season, hopefully a rhythm. What can I do to get into the Bible rhythmically for myself, for my family? What can I do intentionally to write it down to say, here's my rhythm of prayer. Here's my season of prayer. That, that's kind of about the, the foundation of the, the spiritual disciplines. But you can add other things in there. Any spiritual discipline that you're thinking about that's a rhythm or season that's gonna push you closer to the Lord, make you be intentional with your own discipleship or that of your kids or grandkids, put one in. Church engagement is exactly what it sounds like. Wednesday night Bible studies, home group, a life group, corporate worship. How do I engage with my church? Because we do this together as a family. So again, foundations, bottom lines, non-negotiables, corporate worship and a small group. What are my rhythms for corporate worship and a rhythm for a small group? In a world where the average church member now attends church 1.4 Sundays a month, your rhythm might be, I'm going to be in corporate worship three out of four Sundays a month. That's going to be the rhythm we set for our family to be intentional in our discipleship. Your, your rhythm might be, I'm going to start getting involved in a small group. 
I'm going to leverage my family and my schedule so that I have opportunities to be in a small group of people. And that's what you write down. And for this year, you go after that. It's church engagement. Third thing is missional living. This could be all kinds of things. It might be that you go, hey, I'm going to join the PTA because I'm going to live on mission. Now, you're not joining the PTA because you, you want to be a better parent or because you just want to help teachers, but because you want the school that serves your community to be a place that looks like Jesus. And you go, I'm, gonna, I'm going to engage in the PTA so that I can bring the gospel here because the gospel changes schools. Or maybe you go, hey, I'm going to, um, maybe you go, hey, I'm, I'm a band dad. And my job as a band dad is to move props and sets around during halftime of the football games. No, it's not. If it's missional living, your job as a band dad is to invest in the lives of the other dads that are hanging out before you start moving props. And you talk about Jesus and you share with them what God's doing in your family's life because God has placed you there. Missional living says, I don't play baseball to play baseball if you're a teenager. I'm playing baseball in order to take the gospel to my baseball team. And so you write down in your missional living either some rhythms or some seasons, some things that you can do to start engaging the PTA or start engaging your baseball team or start engaging the other band dads. But the foundational non-negotiable, if you're going, hey, I'm struggling, where do I go? Just think, what am I going to do in my neighborhood or what am I going to do where I work? That's your, those are your mission fields. Those are your outposts for the gospel. What rhythms or what seasons am I going to write down that will help me be an intentional disciple maker? And the last one's family life. It's kind of the catch-all. We put marriage in there, discipline of kids, capturing the heart of your kids. So if you're looking for some foundational things, if you're married, the rhythm might be, hey, every so often, you, you fill in the blank, we're going to go on date nights. Or if you've got kids at home, every so often, I'm going to, I'm going to invest in some activities that connect my heart to my kids. So quick personal story, once a quarter I sit down, because I'm wired this way, I sit down and for three months at a time put out multiple dates, two dates a month with my wife, a date with both of my daughters, and a family time. And they're, they're, they're very creative things, they try to be creative. And so I, I actually just finished May, June, and July. And I get with my wife and we put them on the calendars and they go in my calendar. And if you call me and you say, hey, can you do this? And I look at my calendar and I see that my daughter and I are going to do a baking thing that she wants to do for an afternoon. I'm going to tell you no, because it's intentional. It's a time for me to connect my heart to my daughters and something she wants to do. And that's more important to me than probably anything you're going to ask me to do, because I'm the primary disciple maker of those two, two daughters. If you ask me to do something on a night that I have a date with my wife, and, and unless it's something extreme that you've got and my date can be moved, I'm probably telling you no. Because as an intentional disciple maker and leader in my home, I'm trying to capture the heart of my wife so that I can push her towards Jesus. And I have to be intentional about it and put it in my calendar. So that's how my family life things happen. So here's the home, here's the assignment for the rest of the summer. But start today, don't put it off. Start thinking, what are we going to do in rhythms and what are we going to do in seasons to be disciple makers? And again, I want to remind you, if you're a grandparent, you actually have multiple lenses. You have grandkids, you have adult kids, you may have a spouse, and you have yourself. If you're an empty nester, you've got multiple lenses. You've got your spouse, possibly your adult kids, and yourself. 
I mean, the person who might have it easiest would be the single person because they only have one lens themselves, but they're going to start hopefully thinking through, how do I do, do this since I'm single? And Paul says that, that is a, that's an incredible thing because I can leverage my life for the gospel in a way that a married person can't. So I'm going to leverage my life not just for myself and my intentional discipleship, but in some people that I'm going to mentor because I have the time. I have the ability. And so you start walking this through different lenses and you create your discipleship plan. You write it down and we start living it out. So two things to lean on. One, all we're asking is that you get one thing out of each category. Four things at the, very, at the very least. You can add more. Four things at the very least. And then to remember this, not just for moms and dads or kids at home. And then here's what we're going to do from here. You take it. You start working on it. Over the course of the summer, I have a team of people, some incredible men and women that have joined our team. And what we've, they've already committed to this. We are ready and willing to come into home groups, to come into life groups, and sit down and talk through this more. Because we know you're hearing it for the first time. To, to talk through it, and here's what it looks like. I am willing to take anyone my treat to lunch. If you go, hey, I need some help, I'll take you to lunch, and we can start talking through what does it look like for your family. If you want us to come to your house, we'll come visit your home and sit around uh, the kitchen table and, and help build out the plan. We're going to put things online. There's a website on here. Uh, over the next week or so, it's going to have different ideas, kind of start posting up there so that you can get ideas. You go, I don't know what to do. You can just go, well, I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. And as we hear from you, we're going to put some of your ideas up there. We're going to upload some plans that some of our team have already made so you can see what some plans look like. We're going to resource you for everything that you could possibly need so that you can start building out this plan. And then in August, when school starts, because we're going to work on it during the summer, we're going to launch and we're going to start living them. And we'll get the people who are going, hey, I'm in. Count me in. And if you go, hey, I'm in, then we're going to send you occasional encouragements via text or email to say, hey, cheer you on. Or here's some ideas to, to think that you might want to add to your plan. Or tell us how it's going. Because we're going to do this together as a family. And it's going to be incredible. 2004, the Olympics in Athens. The American team, women's track team, was the fastest team on the planet. They had Marion Jones, who four years earlier in Sydney had won four gold medals all by herself in track. She was the fastest woman alive, and she ran on the fastest women's track team that there was. They were the heavy favorites to win the gold in Athens. And in the four by 100, the race started, and the first leg took off, and the Americans were doing great. Marion Jones ran the second leg. She got that baton, and she was sprinting her leg, and she was coming up to hand the baton off to the third leg. It was Lauren Williams, who was a young speedster. And, you know, in the 4 by 100 if you haven't watched it, when, they, when, the, when the baton's coming, the person leads starts running. They get a little bit of momentum, and they hand that baton off. And as Marion Jones came about, she put that baton into Lauren Williams' hands, and she just couldn't grab it once and then twice. And then three times. And then on the fourth time, Lauren Williams was able to grab it and take off. But unfortunately, by the time she grabbed it on the fourth attempt, the women's team had ran outside of the boundaries of what was legal. And the fastest team in the world was disqualified and did not win a gold medal. And here's what I want you to consider. Every one of us in this room is going to be handing a baton off. To the generation behind us. It's coming up. It's the baton of faith. And how do you do it? How do you do it well? By being intentional in your discipleship. By thinking, how do we disciple rhythmically in our home? How do we use seasons to disciple? How do I, how do I build spiritual disciplines and church engagement and missional living and family life into the lives of the kids 
of the grandkids that are coming up behind me. This is our chance to hand the baton off well so that the gospel continues to go to the outposts all around Williamson County. So your commitment that I'm asking you to do is to start working on that plan so that every one of our church members is being intentional in discipleship. If you came in this morning and you, you're not a member of our church or, or maybe you're not, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we want to invite you into that journey because Jesus will quite literally change your life, change your family's life, and change the lives of generations behind you. And, and what, we, what we know, because the Bible teaches, is that, that every person can come to the Lord. God loves you. It doesn't matter if you came in here today and you've got a history behind you. You go, man, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't ever do some of these things. I, my, my past, my sin life, it, it's, it's horrific. What I want you to know is this. Jesus died on the cross for you as much as he did for me. And in a moment, we're going to sing. We're going to have a time of invitation. And I'm going to ask that maybe if you're not a believer, that you would consider who Jesus is and who Jesus can be to you. In a moment, we'll stand. I'll be down. Some of our pastors will be down front. If you want to talk to somebody about what it means to follow Jesus, you can do that. I'm going to pray for us in a second. Whatever you need to do to respond to the gospel, respond to be a disciple maker, we want you to do this morning.